If you would, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 6. While you're turning there, uh, allow me to just uh, say, my wife and I, Madeline and I, are very excited to be here in Asheville. Uh, Though I am not yet officially the assistant pastor, I look forward to next week making that official uh, and to being here uh, doing God's work uh, in his ministry here at Covenant Reform. So thank you so much for all of your warm welcomes, your gifts, filling our refrigerator and freezer. Thank you so much for your kindness to us. Uh, We're very excited to be here. I'm also excited this morning to be in Matthew chapter 6 in uh, continuing our study and series through the Gospel of Matthew and especially through the Sermon on the Mount. This morning, as we dive into this next section, uh, we look now at what Jesus describes as practiced righteousness, as a righteousness that is lived out. And so with that in mind, friends, would you turn your attention with me to the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. Jesus says to us, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Indeed, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would he nourish us by it this morning? Would you pray with me? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come to a needy people. We are a people who are desperate and in need of your Holy Spirit 
to give us understanding and insight into the words we just read. Father, send your spirit to us that we would be nourished this day by understanding and living out the truths presented to us this morning by our Savior Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. I wonder if uh, any of you have ever heard your parents repeat something to you over and over again. Something like, uh, Jim, you need to go clean your room. Jim, is your room clean yet? Jim, I know you're not going outside to play baseball with your friends because your room isn't clean. Jim, why do I have to repeat myself over and over? Parents, uh, maybe you've done that this morning. We all know this repetition well, don't we? And as we come now to Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus uses repetition for the same reasons our parents do and did. To emphasize a particular point, or this morning, a particular pattern to us. We know intuitively that as people repeat things over and over, they're really thinking what I'm saying to you is very important. And Jesus does the same this morning. He goes through three particular topics, through giving generously, through prayer, and through fasting. But as he does this, you notice that he uses the same phrases, and he gives us the same pattern. It goes something like this. When you give, pray, or fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do, but rather do it in secret that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And what we see then is that Jesus is preaching what he practices. Jesus is showing us that the righteousness that he provides is the righteousness that, that truly brings forth and bears the fruit of true good works. We see that through the religious activities of generosity and prayer and fasting, Jesus is giving us a pattern through which we can apply other principles as well. We could add things like worship or service. We could add teaching and preaching, exhorting. We could add leadership to this list of other activities that Jesus is calling us to do through the lens of this repeated pattern. And so Jesus tells us that when you do good deeds, do not perform them as the hypocrites do, but rather do them in secret, that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the eagle-eyed among you may be wondering at this point, why would Jesus teach this? If you turn back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you'll remember that Jesus implores us to let our light shine before men so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. How are we to then reconcile this sort of mode of secrecy that Jesus is imploring us to, commanding us to in chapter 6 with this sort of public ministry of good works from chapter 5. And I think verses uh, uh, 5, 48, and verse 1 of chapter 6, when read in conjunction, give us the answer. Turn there again with me, Matthew 5, 48. Jesus, you'll recall from last week, tells us that you therefore must be perfect 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. But beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. When we see that Jesus is, is sort of combining this idea of secrecy with public ministry, we see that Jesus is actually getting to the fact that this pattern, this idea of doing good works, the chief question that should come to our minds is not one of what do we do, but rather why do we do them? Jesus is preaching to us a sermon about motivation about why we do what we do. And so through this, we see that Jesus tells us that genuine righteousness is the result of an inward change, the result of a motivational change, not merely the outward display of religious activity. If I can put it a different way, true good works are truly good only as the result of an internal righteousness given by Christ. The only way that what we do, the only way that the deeds we perform can be truly good is if they serve to glorify our Father in heaven rather than put on display our own good name. And so in this way, Jesus, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount, is throwing up this bright orange sign that says, Caution, one lane road ahead. There is only one way, one lane to practicing genuine righteousness. And it's not by doing a song and a dance in front of other people. And so I want to look at this pattern that Jesus gives us this morning through the three particular aspects that we see. The first, practice righteousness is expected. It's expected. Secondly, that it is service. And finally, that it is rewarded. So let's look at these uh, three aspects of practice righteousness. First, by examining that practice righteousness is expected. There was a word missing in chapter 6 that I wonder if you noticed. Look again with me at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Look again at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Look again at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Once more at verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy. It's a two-letter word that isn't there, and that word is if. Jesus does not say, if you give generously, if you pray, if you fast. No, instead, he takes for granted what he's already said. That the true Christian life is a life that is a, a life of righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. That if we want true, genuine, lasting righteousness, we need to understand that God expects that righteousness to be practiced, to be put into action. And so, friends, we, we, we can sort of understand this in two ways. That God ladens you with a burden of expectation. 
God sort of comes down with the law and says, do this. It is the only way to live. Or we could see in line with what Jesus has already taught us here in the Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That he came to fulfill the law, if I can say it this way, on our behalf and in our place. That we, as we learned this morning in Sunday school, broke the covenant of works in Adam. But the second Adam has come to fulfill the demands of the law. And so when we understand that the Lord is coming and teaching us an expectation of practice righteousness... It is no burden because Jesus is the one who gives us the righteousness from which he expects the good deeds. Jesus is not preaching here. I want you on your own to go through, to go into life and work on your own power. When you pray, when you give generously, when you fast, when you serve, when you lead, when you teach, when you love, when you care, you do it on your own. These are not the words of Jesus. Rather, what Jesus says is that in order to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, you and I need a new righteousness. We need a new heart. We need an internal change. And when Jesus comes into our lives and gives us his righteousness, gives us the perfection that he himself achieved, the expectation is that that righteousness, that source, produces the good deeds that Jesus Christ himself does. And so, rather than sort of seeing this as sort of an automatic F, Right, I didn't do the assignment. Uh, if, if, if Jesus is expecting me to practice the righteousness on my own, I've already failed. That is true. Rather than reading it this way, friends, read it once again through Jesus' words. I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He fulfills this law himself. And so, with that understanding of of expectation, with that understanding of the Lord's expectation, notice then that Jesus truly expects good works from his people. That this doesn't sort of get us out of the hot seat when it comes to this expectation. Yes, it is true that Jesus expects from his own righteousness given to his people good works. He nevertheless expects his people to do those good works. To live in that righteousness. That as he unites himself with us by grace through faith, Jesus actually and truly expects you and me to get up today out of the pew and to go and to do good deeds in his name. And friends, when we understand that that does not come from ourselves, but from Jesus, this frees us to understand good works in a radically different way. Rather than something like a chore that I I have to do to get sort of the ice cream cone after dinner, right? Rather than sort of shoving the green peas right onto one side of the plate and sort of holding our noses, right? Rather than that, we see that living 
like this, performing these good deeds, isn't about us, but about the glory of our Father in heaven. And so, friends, practiced righteousness must be practiced. It must be put into practice. But it is only put into practice as the fruit of a foreign righteousness. The righteousness that Jesus has given you. And so I think that this helps us see that this isn't sort of a a bare theological expectation. That you must be good. Do this and live. But Jesus rather comes to us and says, here is life. Now start acting like it. You are a people who have been given life. So start looking like it. And that brings us to the second aspect of practice righteousness this morning. That it's not just expected, but it's also service. The pattern Jesus lays out for us here moves on from expecting us to give generously, to pray, to fast, to serve, to lead... But also, in showing us the negative, he shows us that it's not really about us. Jesus says, when you do these things, do not do it like this. Uh, Several years ago, um, it's becoming more and more apparent, many years ago at this point, when I was in college, uh, over summer, I I worked down in Flat Rock at Bon Clarkin. And every year... We would do the ropes course for folks, uh, uh, camps and conferences as they came, right? And, and every year we had to get recertified to make sure that when you're, you know, 50 feet in the air, that you're safe and that I'm safe and that everybody's safe. And every year the, the guy who certified us would come and we had this sort of uh, uh, practice area that was like two, three feet off the ground. And he would show us, the first thing he would show us every year is how not to do it. How not to do it. That way, visually, we knew, all of us knew, that if we ever saw the rope sort of connected in this way, to sort of hit the pause button and do it right. To make sure that everybody was safe. And then, of course, what, what would he do? He'd fall two feet to the ground in sort of this dramatic fashion. Right? <clears throat> it is very instructive and very helpful that Jesus, in giving us this pattern, gives us the negative. In showing us what not to do. But I want to make sure we understand that by showing us the negative, he's not chastising us. Insofar as what he's trying to do is show us the real meaning of practice righteousness. And that is that it is service. Again, I think the key to unlocking this pattern comes to us from from verse 1. Look at this again with me. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Blowing the trumpet as you give massive sums of money or shouting your prayers from the corners or in the synagogues or even going so far as they apparently did by, by putting on makeup to look even more worse than fasting already makes us look, we're always of practicing a righteousness that is mine. That comes from me and me alone. A righteousness that demands that you see me and what I do, what I have to go through in order to be good. 
Rather, Jesus says, do not do these things. Because again, what should be seen is not you, but the glory of your Father in heaven. And so it's important for us to understand and to know that we need to center the discussion of good works in the Christian life around this word, service. That we don't go and perform these good deeds. We don't go and perform good works so that those around us would see with physical eyes. But out of hopes and out of prayer and out of the certainty of God's sovereignty. That they would in fact see with eyes of faith. That they would see what God has done, not how good I am. And this is why Jesus calls these uh, people who practice righteousness in the negative way as hypocrites. He says, when you do good works, don't be like the hypocrites. But why would he call them hypocrites? I think this word could, is overused today. I think hypocrisy is, is a huge category of our understanding. So I want to make sure we understand here that what Jesus is saying here is on the outside, one thing was happening. But on the inside, the opposite was happening. Uh, William Hendrickson, in his commentary on Matthew, he puts it the best, I think, when he says that they were hypocrites because while they pretended to give, they really intended to receive, namely to receive honor from other men. You see, the hypocrisy here is that while they wrote a check, They were hoping that you would write a check of a different sort to them. They were hoping that you would praise them even more. And so perhaps then put them in a place of power, a place of standing, a place of honor. Friends, I think we know this intuitively, don't we? I think all of us either remember when we did it or remember when our children do it, that when they finally obey the command you've given them, what do they do? They excitedly tell you, don't they? I did it. I'm amazing. Look how great I am, Dad, Mom. And sort of in our heads we think, yeah, that's that's like the bare minimum. Like that's what I told you I expected you to do. Like, that, that's a C on a paper, right? We know that our pull is toward disguising our desires to receive as desires ostensibly to give. And so in, in revealing this to us, Jesus tells us something about our generosity, about our prayers about our fasting, about our service, about all of these things that he calls us to do. That the internal motivating factor should be service to God. Should be a desire, not not to please him in in a way to motivate him to give you something. But out of a love and desire to do what your good and loving God desires you to do. If I can put it this way, Jesus teaches us that we need to be content with doing the right thing simply because God says it's the right thing. Regardless of the outcome, 
regardless of what we may get, regardless uh, of if people see me or not, Jesus is calling us to a blessed contentedness with this living a life the way he himself lived as an example for us. But I think we need to go just a tad bit deeper than that. Because Jesus teaches us that, that prayer, I think this is striking, that Jesus includes uh, as, as one of his three examples here, prayer, the most basic sort of fundamental religious building block. Right? You think of any religion, all religions of some uh, 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 type have this idea of prayer. Whether they call it prayer or not, whether they call it meditation, whether they call it something else, all religions have something akin to prayer. And so it's very fascinating that Jesus feels the need. It's very telling, isn't it? That Jesus feels the need to discuss the most basic building block of religious life. And I think, on, on the one hand, maybe that can sound ridiculous to us. Like, of all things sort of we need to be corrected on, maybe it's not praying publicly. Maybe we need to pray more publicly, Right? Um, once I was actually called, and, and this may not come as a shock to you, because uh, many pastors apparently are called this, I was called a professional prayer. Ever, ever cross your mind, like, oh, the pastor prays all the time, so we're going to have them over, so let's let him pray, right? Let's, let's let the pastor do, do the praying here. And, and Jesus, I think, is combating this motivation, isn't he? Jesus is combating this idea of a professional prayer. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I, I must have missed the class in seminary on, on professional prayer. I don't know if that was offered over in Charlotte, but I missed it. Right? it it's not as though I and Pastor Sean, we have red phones on our desks down the hall. That you don't have access to God in the ways that we do. Right? Or the, that in session meetings, all of the elders, okay, well, those are the elders, right? Prayer should not be thought of in that way. Prayer, as I said, is the basic building block of religious activity. It is the most fundamental and basic thing that each and every Christian is called to do. If I can use a different word, each and every Christian is invited to do. That Almighty God does not sort of view us pastors and elders as priests. There's a reason we don't use that word. There's a reason that's not my title. That, that you don't need me. You don't need a professional to get you to the throne. And so Jesus sort of illustrates this using specifics. And the specifics with prayer is, is that you need to go into your prayer closet. I think many may have misunderstood the point of Jesus here. He's not condemning public prayer. Uh, if so, indeed, the professional prayers of pastors are in trouble, aren't they? No, Jesus is, is, is condemning the one who prays 99% of the time in public. Jesus is saying a, a, a true and a truly righteous prayer life is a prayer life that is dominated in private prayer, in personal prayer. That if you pray in public, 
It should be a percent of a percent of a percent of your prayer life. And that the rest of your prayer life ought to be personally and intimately with your God. And you see how that's not really a rebuke, don't you? You see how that is, as I said earlier, an invitation to the presence of God. But it's not just prayer. Notice what he says about giving. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's not, it's not just prayer that Jesus is sort of saying, you don't have to be a professional to do this. You don't have to be this super Christian. You are a normal human being and all normal human beings who have the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith can do these things. And so what really is going on here is what John Stott says is that Christian giving is marked by self-forgetfulness, not self-righteousness, not self-proclamation. Finally, his, his last illustration is to anoint your head with oil. Pretend, if you will, that you're not even fasting. Because why does it matter if other people know? Why does it matter if other people know? Why does it matter if other people know? If your Father in heaven who sees in secret, if he knows. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's reprioritizing And this brings us to our last and final aspect of the pattern this morning, that practice righteousness is rewarded. I think this is sort of the the point that all of us have kind of been waiting for, right? This is the ice cream cone at the end of the the green peas on the plate. But I love, I love what Jesus does. What Jesus does here is he doesn't tell us hardly anything about the reward. This is incredibly elusive, Jesus repeats that refrain, that your Father who is in secret will reward you. But what is the reward? What do I get? Imagine trying to, again, tell your children this. Or maybe some of you remember your parents telling you this. Oh, you're going to get a reward. Oh, what is it? I'm not going to tell you. That's not very motivating, is it? It's like, oh, that reward might be like one singular piece of candy. Yippee, right? I want the whole bag. I want all of it. But I love that Jesus is so secretive here about the reward. But there are three, just three brief things that we can see. Three clues about this reward. And the first clue is this. That Jesus doesn't want to tell you. That if he did, he would have told you what the reward is. And again, I love that he doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us sort of a list of what's in the treasure box. He doesn't sort of give us this this, uh, sort of catalog of of X amount of good deeds results in this amount of gold. and, And these specific good deeds merits this very awesome reward later on. No, Jesus instead leaves it up to our wildest imagination. He leaves it to us to reflect on. And this, in turn, turns us back inward, doesn't it? What do I want? What reward would be worth it to me? Is it the praise of mankind? Is it the praise of others? Jesus says that those who practice their righteousness in order to be seen by others have received their reward in full. 
That's all they get. And you notice it's not enough, isn't it? That if that were enough, that one big check would be enough. But they give again, don't they? And again. And they pray loudly again. And they they put on the makeup again and again and again and again. Because it never satisfies. Friends, what reward? This is a genuine question to you this morning. What reward is worth it? What reward could Jesus give you in this life or in the next or both that would be enough for you? And I hope that you see this not then as sort of a a paycheck, a payoff, as something uh, sort of awesome at the end, but rather, again, an invitation to pray boldly to God and to tell Him what you want. You see, God is is not sort of baking this in as the motivation. Again, the motivation is contentedness with service, but rather it is a reward in the truest sense. So what are they? What, are, what is the reward? I don't know. And I'm okay with that. And I think we should be okay with that. The second clue Jesus gives us is that the rewards are given by a specific person. Who is it? Our Father in heaven. What this tells us about the reward is that it's not sort of like a a reward from a distant relative. You ever received that? Sort of sitting around the Christmas tree and suddenly it's like, oh, this is from your third great aunt Josie who loves you dearly, whom you've never met. You've never spoken to. and You didn't know until this moment that they existed, right? And you open it up and you're like, cool, another gift. And it's like the, the, the wrong size socks, right? It's like women's socks for Pastor Jim. Oh no, right? Like a distant relative doesn't really know because of the distance, right? How to really give a gift that is personal. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell us that the one who gives us gifts is distant but rather a father. You know, around Christmas time, I don't think fathers need uh, to go around asking for Christmas lists, do they? They're either handed them, which would be nice, I guess, on the one hand, but they hear constantly throughout the year. Parents hear this list. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. Ooh, that's a good Christmas idea. You see, friends, the gift and the rewards that we receive are received from a father. A father who knows us and a father who loves us. A father who will reward us with our truest and most righteous desires. This is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 34, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus is inviting us to tell the father what we want. To give him those desires. And to pray that he would give them to us. And friends, our final clue here, just briefly, is that the source of the reward is God himself. I think sort of the the biggest fear that a lot of us can have when we have a new shiny gift, right? Is sort of the first time you drop it, right? It gets scratched up. The screen breaks The batteries fall out. Whatever it is that you're imagining right now, it gets damaged. Gravity can take it away from us three days after we got it. Three hours, maybe. Friends, our our reward comes from God Almighty, above whom no one sits. 
God is no one's servant. He is no one's servant. He follows no one's commands. He is the Lord Almighty. No one can take the rewards that he gives you away from you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Now, here's the problem with patterns. As I said earlier, patterns are are meant to be applied in a variety of ways. And so what Jesus is inviting you to do, and I invite you to the same this morning, is to reflect today on what fits into this pattern. When you do this, don't do it like the hypocrites, but do it in secret. That your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is God calling you today? What good and righteous deed is He calling you to perform today, this week, this month, this year? To conform to this pattern. Not to be performed in front of others. So maybe don't come up and tell me afterwards. Go and do them. Trusting the motivation will be given to you as the righteousness is in Christ by faith. Let's pray. Almighty and glorious Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know Jesus. What a privilege it is to have a foreign righteousness given to us by the Holy Spirit on the merit of Christ. And we pray today that your Spirit would move in our own, delight, uh, causing us to delight to perform good works, causing us to be motivated by the contentedness of service, that we would follow the examples of Jesus, that we would perform these things in secret, that you would see them, but that we would let our light shine before men, that they would glorify you, our Father in heaven. We ask that you would do this for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ alone. We pray it in his name. Amen.